0: Hey everybody, this is Chad Harms, the pastor of Creekside Bible Church. Thanks for taking some time to listen to my latest sermon, a sermon about the gospel, especially as it is talked about at the beginning of the book of Romans. It will play in just a minute, but before it does, I want to talk to you about something. Like for every other church, the last seven or eight months has been filled with a lot of challenges for us, and one of the unique difficulties for us and churches like ours is that we're a mobile church that normally meets in a school, and that school has not been available to us for obvious reasons, and so we have had to scramble to find places to uh, do church from. This year I've preached my sermons for our Sunday service from five different locations. I did it at the school before everything was shut down. I did it at another church's offices for a little while. Thank you, Grace Chapel, for being so gracious to us. I preached from our church property, I preached from home, and uh, just last Sunday, I preached from the building that we're going to be using for the next three months, which leads me to the thing I wanna talk to you about. After searching near and far, high and low, we have been blessed with the full-time 24-7 use of a church building that was sitting unused and has been sitting unused for several months. Why am I telling you this? First, I want to publicly thank God for this incredible blessing. We were running out of options and we didn't know what we were going to do when the weather turned bad because we had been meeting outside and God has really blessed us and answered our prayers in allowing us to use this building. The second reason I'm telling you this is that we would love to see you at one of our services. If you're interested in coming to one of our services, you can go to creekside.me slash church, creekside.me slash church, and there you'll be able to register for a service, plus learn about how our services are going to look and what we're doing to make them safe. The last reason I'm telling you this is that it's a unique opportunity for us as a church to have a permanent space, at least a temporary permanent space. And that has our minds and hearts just dreaming about the things that we can do. And so we are working on some special content that we would not otherwise be able to produce. And I really want to make sure that you have an opportunity to watch and listen to the content that we produce when it comes out. And so the best way to make sure that you stay in the know is to subscribe to our newsletter. And you can do that by going to Creekside.me slash sign up. That's Creekside.me slash sign up. But I would also encourage you to like, follow, subscribe, whatever it may be on the different social media platforms. We're especially active on YouTube and Instagram and Facebook. And we would love to connect with you there. And if you connect with us, then you will be in the know when we produce and send out new content, some of that new content that we're excited about. Again, thanks for taking time to listen to this sermon. I hope that it'll help you to learn and live more fully for the glory of God. Good morning, everybody. My name is Chad. I'm the pastor of Creekside Bible Church. I want to thank you for being with us today, and I hope you're doing well. But I also realize that many of you are probably not. There's been a lot going on. I think we can all agree on that. And frankly, I'm a bit tired. And that's exactly what I was thinking about as I was finishing up my sermon on Thursday. Just how tired I was, how fatigued I was at, at having to navigate so many different things over the last several months. And so let me just ask. You can't answer because there's no in person church service today, but but let me ask, are you tired? Like are you just fatigued of all that is going on and and trying to respond in a good way to all of it, the right way, the best way? I, I think a lot of you are. And today I'm not going to do a sermon about how to deal with the fatigue that you know some of us are facing right now. I'm not going to do a sermon that directly responds to just how hard the last few months have been, but instead I'm going to preach uh, about a story that is called the gospel and it's a story that has power that goes beyond all of the things that we are facing here on earth today. Today we finish a series of sermons on the gospel, the story of Christianity, the story of Jesus' death and resurrection for the forgiveness of sins for all who would place their faith in him. And in this sermon, in the passage we'll look at in this sermon, we're going to see the gospel summarized. That's the title of the sermon, the gospel summarized. And it is one of the most beautiful paragraphs that the world has ever known. And I didn't make that up. That wasn't my idea that it's one of the most beautiful paragraphs the world has ever known. A man named Leon Morris who writes commentaries on the Bible said that. And I think he is right. And And I hope as as we examine the paragraph that we'll see at the end of the sermon today, I hope, my hope is that that maybe just for a minute, we would take our eyes off of all of the struggles that we are dealing with. and And, you know, at least for a moment, we would just you know, maybe for the first time, realize, or maybe we would remember how incredibly great the gospel is. But we're not going to get to that paragraph right at first. Instead, we're going to begin in Romans 3 1 and 2. And it says, What advantage then is there to being a Jew, or what value is there in circumcision? Much in every way. First of all, the Jews have been entrusted with the very words of God. And so, Paul, if you have been in this series, you know this. If you haven't been with us as I've preached through the beginning of Romans, then you don't know this. But Paul has just explained that Jews and Gentiles are alike in that there is no excuse for any person on earth to not embrace the gospel because of All people, whether they have the law like the Jews did or they don't have the law like the Gentiles, all people are sinners who are in need of a savior. And so the Jewish people with the law and their symbol of circumcision, which uniquely expressed their special relationship with God, they still need a savior. And all the people who aren't Jewish, who are outside of the law, who don't have the sign of circumcision, they still need a savior. And so Paul, he like answers a question that he can hear from his fellow Jewish people. It's like this, if all this is true, then what advantage is there to being a Jew? I and mean, what advantage do we have at all? And, and Paul basically answers, there is a great advantage in being jewish and, and he's not really going to explain exactly what those advantages are until all the way in romans 9 4 and 5 where it says theirs is the adoption to sonship there's the divine glory the covenants the receiving of the law the temple worship and the promises theirs are the patriarchs and from them is traced the human ancestry of the messiah who is god over all forever praised amen so way later in this letter paul explains the advantages of being Jewish and we'll talk about that when we get to that section in our study through the book of Romans but here he just mentions one of them the Jewish people have the oracles of God the word of God probably referring most likely referring to the old testament and Paul at the end of our passage of scripture today is going to say hey the old testament the law and the prophets they point to your need for Jesus and so this is Jewish people, is a big advantage for you that you have the words of God that point you to Jesus. Now, here's the next question for Paul. Does this Jewish advantage mean that God is unfair or unrighteous in punishing them. And that is exactly what he responds to in Romans 3, 3 through 8. Now, I mentioned that Leon Morris says that that the paragraph that we'll look at at the end of our section is one of the most beautiful and important paragraphs that has ever been written in the history of our world. Uh, But nobody says that, I don't think, about Romans 3, 3 through 8. It is confusing. It's difficult. And so I'm going to read it to you and and maybe you can try to stay with me and decipher what exactly is Paul getting at here. Uh, But then I'll explain kind of the overall point for us in just a little bit. Here's what Paul writes next. What if some were unfaithful? Will their their unfaithfulness nullify God's faithfulness? Not at all. Let God be true and every human being a liar as it is written so that you may be proved right when you speak and prevail when you judge But if our unrighteousness brings out God's righteousness more clearly, what shall we say? That God is unjust in bringing his wrath on us? I'm using a human argument. Certainly not. If that were so, how could God judge the world? Someone might argue if my falsehood enhances God's truthfulness and so increases his glory, why am I condemned as a sinner? Why not say, as some slanderously claim that we say, let us do evil that good may result? Their condemnation is just now if you're like me and you, you read those words you're like huh what how does this connect to you know the the special place of the jews and 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 you know if as we as we read on later you'll be like how does it you know how does it connect with all of that but uh, you're not alone, if you feel that, I'm not alone, because this paragraph seems to frustrate uh, biblical scholars, and academic theologians, and and I'm not going to lie to you, it's just very difficult, and even the overall point, usually we can, you know, in a difficult section, go, well, those details are hard to understand, but then we can look at the overall point of a biblical passage, and go, well, that's pretty clear, but even even the overall point is disputed here, but here's Here's what Paul seems to be doing. He seems to be responding to Jewish people who would say, if God punishes us because of our special relationship to him, relationship to him because we have the law and circumcision, if God punishes us, does that mean that he is actually being unfaithful? You see, Jewish people had this covenant relationship with God. It goes all the way back to nearly the beginning of the Bible when you read a story of a man named Abraham and and God promised Abraham that he'd be the father of many nations and and so that covenant Kind of begins with Abraham. It continues in his lineage through a man named Jacob, who was later named Israel, which is where the Israelites get their name. But then it was really solidified in God's covenant with Moses and the Jewish people at Mount Sinai when God gives them the law. You can read about it in the book of Exodus. And that's really at the heart of our passage. Side note, you could claim that this same covenantal relationship. Uh, is in the promises, is seen in the promises that God later gives to a king named David. But at the heart of our passage is the covenant given to Moses in Exodus. And in broad strokes, the covenant of God basically is like, here's the law. I'm going to enter into a relationship with you by my love and my grace. If you follow my commandments in this relationship, then you will be blessed. But if you don't, then it will lead to punishment. Now here's What happened throughout history and even into our day, Jewish people, the Israelites, they tended to, they tend to focus on the blessing part of that covenant, the good promises, the nice promises of that covenant, the promises that they like in that covenant. But at the same time, they they seem to tend to neglect the side about punishment if they don't obey the law of God. And so what we have here is, is Paul telling his Jewish brethren that God is not unjust in punishing them because God has already told them that would happen, that it would happen if they did not obey His law. And he has really laid forward in the book of Romans, chapters one and two, that all people, including Jews, have broken the law. And so here, Paul just continues on that line of thinking. And you'll see that in the great paragraph that's coming at the end of that I think hopefully will bring you hope and joy and even you know help you feel love today and all these things. But he continues that line of thinking. But here, Paul is pausing to say, look... God is not unjust in punishing you because you, like everybody else, have broken the law and God said he would punish you if you broke that law. Even in the middle of it, there's a quote from Psalm 51 and in that quote, uh, David is really declaring God's punishment towards him because he had been unfaithful to his wife uh, and really in some ways, been in in a lot of ways, in every way, been responsible for the death of her husband. And, And in the middle of that, he's like, you know what? God's punishment for me is right. God is just in punishing me. And that's what Paul is getting at in this passage. The idea of the very confusing language of Romans 3, 3 through 8 seems to be that that God is not unjust or unfair in punishing the Jewish people because he has told them that he would if they didn't fulfill the law and all of them have broken that law that's what Paul is getting at, and then there's this other question, what if some are unfaithful, will their, unfaith- will their unfaithfulness nullify God's faithfulness, and the answer as I've just explained is, is no, it won't nullify the faithfulness of God, because they have been unfaithful to God, and therefore God is fine, and in, in right, and just, and fair, in punishing them, because he told them that, they, that he would, now listen, the main, the main idea, I think, behind unfaithfulness here is that they haven't embraced Jesus as the Messiah, despite the law and the prophets pointing to Jesus. But all of their sins are, I'm sure, uh, in this idea because that's what Paul has been talking about, the sinfulness of all sins. People And then there's this other kind of criticism that's kind of wrapped up in the, uh, the same kind of idea for the people who are reading, specifically the Jewish people, and they're like, hey, if my breaking the law makes God look better, then how can he punish me, punish me for it? And Paul's answer is, is basically like, look, if God can't punish for sin, if God can't punish people because your sin makes him look better then god is not the judge of the world and and the seeming uh truth behind that is that the people reading the jewish people and the gentile people who are christians reading paul's letter they all they all tend to agree that god is the judge of the world and so that is his logical argument. If God punishes, is he really good? I think that's how we ask the question. So all of three through eight, a little bit confusing, hard to kind of navigate through, but, but then it's like, what is there for us in those verses? And I think it's so important. If God is punishing, if God punishes, is he actually good? Or to say it another way, if God is good, will he actually or really punish me? And, and Paul's answer answer to that is, I think, important. It's not Fun it's not uh, you know the great you know powerful paragraph at the end that we're going to look at, but it's important because Paul says, yeah, God is good, and if he punishes you, his goodness does not change because he's told you exactly what will happen now, I say that that's important because I, I you know as I look into this camera and I think about the people watching, I know there's a lot of people who who for them the idea of God punishing is is maybe one of the reasons that they refuse to become a Christian. It's like, well, I'm not gonna like or embrace or serve a God who will punish. But I would say, you know, trying to decipher the words of Paul here, trying to communicate Paul's idea here that 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 the fact that God tells you that he will punish you if you don't embrace the gospel, which we'll get to in a minute, should be a good enough reason to say, you know what, God is at least fair. Whether you like it or not, God is fair in punishing because he's told you exactly what your choices are. Embrace the gospel and have eternal life or don't embrace the gospel and deal with eternal punishment. The New International Commentary on the New Testament, which you've been with us, uh, if you've been with us, you know I'm quoting this a lot. It's a great commentary. It says, God's faithfulness is ultimately not to Israel, but to his own person, and promises. God's, God's faithfulness is not ultimately to Israel, but to his own person and promises. And he is true to his word, whether it's for blessing or punishment, God is true to his word, even when people aren't true in following it. Now, Paul continues in verse nine. He says, what shall we conclude then? Do we have any advantage? Not at all. For we have already made the charge that Jews and Gentiles alike are all under the power of sin. The beginning of this verse symbolizes that Paul is moving towards a conclusion, a conclusion of really the section that began in Romans 1 18. and And, and the, in this conclusion, he's going to summarize the gospel for us and it's going to be beautiful. But here he pauses to ask the same question. Is there any advantage to being Jewish? This time though, he's not talking about, you know, overall advantages. He's actually talking about, is there an advantage when it comes to how we can be saved and his answer is not surprising given all the things that he said so far in this letter his answer is no there's no advantage when it comes to salvation there is an advantage in having the law and knowing the law and how that points to Jesus but there is no advantage when it comes to being saved saved from God's punishment and saved for a blessing that will last in eternity there's no there is no advantage there because he says it again here his overall point all are under the power of of sin the idea of being under the power of sin is is really to be held captive by sin the problem is douglas Moo says isn't that people sin but that sin holds people captive sin holds people captive all people are captive to sin apart from jesus they are captive to sin because it will result in their death. They are captive to sin because they can't break, break free from it. They are captive to sin because it separates them from God. All people apart from Christ are captive to sin. And maybe that includes you. And Paul continues in verses 10 through 17. As it is written, he comes back to this idea. As it is written, there is no one righteous, not even one. He's quoting scripture here. He's gonna quote a bunch of scriptures for us in order to prove his point that all people are under the power of sin. As it is written, there is no one righteous, not even one. There is no one who understands. There is no one who seeks God. All have turned away. They have together become worthless. There is no one who does good, not even one. Their throats are open graves. Their tongues practice deceit. The poison of vipers is on their lips. Their mouths are full of cursing and bitterness. Their feet are swift to shed blood. Ruin and misery mark their ways. And the way of peace they do not know. There is no fear of God before their eyes. I want you to notice three things about this passage. First, he quotes from at least six different Old Testament passages. Paul is making an argument from the scriptures that the Jewish people had that that people are sinners. And the second thing that must be paid attention to is that nobody is righteous. All people sin. I mean, even notice the language here. No one, no one, no one, all not even one. I mean, Paul is like, everybody's a sinner. There's, no, there's nobody who has avoided this thing called sin. All people are under the power of sin. All people have sinned and have been held down by sin. And, and the third thing is that the message of Romans, uh, a commentary, another commentary that I've relied heavily on this years, it points out that this section teaches us three really important things about sin. One, I just mentioned that that it teaches that the universality of sin, that sin is universal, that all people are sin. But two, it declares the ungodliness of sin. Sin is in direct opposition to the will of God. That is what sin is. But sometimes we can minimize it. Like, oh, I just kinda I just kinda did something that I know God didn't want me to do or that I knew was wrong, but but sin is in direct opposition to God. And then he teaches the pervasiveness of sin. Sin just infects us. It infects humanity. It, it, it really hurts humanity in, in deep, deep and profound ways that, you know, that we see all around us all of the time. Sin is universal and it's, it's ungodly. It's in opposition to God and it's pervasive And that it ruins. It ruins people. It ruins families. It ruins culture. Sin is bad, and all people are under the power of sin. Now it seemingly gets worse just for one more one more kind of section of our passage. it seemingly gets worse before we hit the great news of the gospel. I mean so far we 've seen look God is fair and punishing we don 't like that, but it 's true. God is fair and punishing because he's he's told you that he will unless you give your life to him, so God is fair in punishing, and all people are, are, are sinners, and, and sin is pervasive and universal, and so against the nature and character and will of the God who created this world, and he goes another step here, he says, now we know that whatever the law says, it says to those who are under the law, so that every mouth may be silenced, and the whole world accountable to, held accountable to God, Therefore, no one will be declared righteous in God's sight by the works of the law. Rather, through the law, we become conscious of our sin. Notice that last line before I move on to the real thrust of this section. He says, the law makes people conscious of sin, which was an advantage for the Jewish people. They had the law, and so they, they should have been aware even more than other people that they were sinners. But all people are under the power of sin. And so Paul now culminates everything that started it at Romans one eighteen, And frankly, it's a grim picture. Remember, if you were here with us, remember that righteous is a borrowed term from Roman law. And it's a word that means legally right or innocent. And Paul says that there is no person, there is no person who is righteous, who is innocent before God, and he says that, that people are so guilty that they are silent before God. The The picture that is painted here is that people no longer, based on, on the law and seeing their sin in their hearts, no person has a good a good argument. They don't have a legal case, and so they've just shut their mouths, or they will shut their mouths, or they should shut their mouths before God, and stop making excuses for the sins that they have committed. They should no longer try to testify on their own behalf saying, you know what? I should be acquitted here. I should be legally uh, released because I'm okay. All people are under the power of sin and all people will at least someday recognize that and sit before God will be held accountable before God, which, which translates the Greek word that means under sentence or condemned or guilty. The the world, because of its pervasive sin, people because of the universality of sin, we are we are no we're silenced before God. We have no more excuses. We have no more argument. We are sinners. And the picture that's painted here is that that we're before God and we're completely helpless because we are sinners without any excuses left. And God is sitting as judge and he is sitting there looking at us who deserve for him to declare us guilty, condemned for eternity. That's a big idea. I mean, Paul's getting at something huge here, right? He's saying, look, look, God is right and fair in punishing us because he said he will and because he's God. He's the one who gets to judge. And every single person has sinned and and every person's sin holds them down, but it also makes them guilty before God. And God sits at the judgment seat. And, and he looks at us and all of us deserve to be declared guilty, condemned. And then, oh man, Paul, he switches gears. I mean, listen to this. He says, but now, but now, apart from the law, Christ martin lloyd jones who spent most of his life preaching and writing about the book of romans says there are no more powerful words in the whole of scripture than just these two words but now but now we all are guilty of sin before the righteous judge who is god but now God has given us an opportunity to be declared righteous. It says, apart from the law, the righteousness of God has been made known. The ability to be innocent before God, the ability to be innocent, the ability to be innocent from our sins, in other words, forgiven for our sins, has come and it is from God. God it's been made known and it's from God the righteousness of God is a key phrase that comes up a lot in verses 21 through 26 I'll let Chuck explain that next week as he preaches but for now let me say that, that basically what Paul is saying that apart from the law the very thing that pointed you to your sin apart from that there is now an opportunity for you to be declared innocent for you to be innocent instead of guilty Despite the fact that you have no more excuses, you are in fact guilty. That is what Paul is saying. Notice he says the law and the prophets point to that. I alluded to that earlier. But more importantly here, look, we are completely and utterly guilty. And so we must ask the question, well, how then can I be declared righteous? How can I be declared innocent if I know that I am guilty can you just imagine a courtroom scene where you're sitting there and you've pled guilty and you know you're guilty and you've done something so heinous and and the the judge is the person you who you have committed the crime against and all of a sudden you know out of the back you hear a person say look you're guilty you're absolutely guilty there's no way out of this but now but now there is a way to be declared innocent you go how 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 is that possible And here's what Paul says, this righteousness is given through, one way, given through faith in Jesus Christ to all who believe. There is no difference between Jew and Gentile. The innocence is given through Jesus. There is no other way. It doesn't matter if you like that there's no other way. It doesn't matter if it takes you off that God would punish sin. It doesn't matter if you think God is mean or unjust or whatever, none of that matters because you are a sinner and there's only one way for you to be declared declared innocent before a holy and righteous God and that is through faith in Jesus Christ. And then Paul summarizes in one beautiful sentence, for all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God of God. All have sinned and fall short of the glory of God and all are justified freely by his grace through the redemption that came by Jesus Christ. To justify is to declare innocent. And this is what Paul is saying here, that we that we have one opportunity to be declared innocent. It is by placing our faith in Jesus. And if we will, then we will be justified. Why? Because we did a good enough job, because we explained ourselves well enough, because we're cool or awesome, or a little bit more holy than the person down the road, our neighbors or the coworkers that we have at our jobs or our family because of that. No, 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 no. All can be declared innocent by by one thing. And that is, His grace, his grace. This is one of the key theological words for Paul. It's really a word that just simply means unmerited favor. It's like blessing that we absolutely don't deserve. And the the picture that Paul paints through us throughout this letter and all of his writings is really that we, we deserved hell. And then God offered us heaven. That is grace. If you've ever done something terrible to somebody and then they found a way to do something kind for you, then you've seen a picture of grace in your life. You've done something terrible to somebody, but they've done something kind for you. You know, we would separate this from mercy often in Christian circles, because mercy would just be, you know, you did something unkind to somebody, something horrible to somebody, and they didn't do anything back. But grace is that you did something horrible to somebody, and then they said, you know what, I'm gonna serve you, or bless you, or give you a gift, or whatever, it might be, and Paul says, look, here's the deal, there's one way to be justified, and it's by grace, it's by God looking at you and saying, I know that you deserve to be declared guilty, that you are guilty, that you deserve my condemnation, that you deserve me to sentence you to an eternity in hell, but I'm offering you a way to be innocent, it's grace, that's grace, You don't deserve it, you can't earn it, but that is offered to you anyway. God says, look, you have sinned against me in a way that you deserve eternal punishment, but I am going to offer you heaven for eternity. You've sinned against me in such a way that you've consistently broken and hurt your relationship with me. You've rejected me, you've been my enemy, but I am going to offer you the ability to be in my family, to be my adopted son. This is grace. And this grace comes through the redemption that came by Jesus Christ. The idea behind this is that Jesus paid a ransom. That word uh, redemption is a word that was used for paying to set a prisoner or a slave or a condemned criminal free. It reminds me of the old hymn that says, Jesus paid it all, all to him I owe. Jesus paid it all. That allows for you to. To have the grace of God in your life which allows for you to be declared innocent it allows for you to be declared innocent Jesus sacrificed everything for you At the very end of this Paul summarizes the gospel and it's the most it's one of the most beautiful things that the world has ever known because because of the story that we talk about every week in this church that we sing about that that I preach about that we you know even pray about it's the story that we call the gospel. The story is that you and I, this is what Paul is saying. You and I have rejected God. We've done it in small and big ways. We've done it in the ways we've treated other people and the things that, we've, that we have uh, you know, done that we just knew were wrong. We, we, we do it in the way we think and the way we feel, I think, sometimes towards the God who created us. And that sin, the things that we did, that sin made us guilty before God. And our guilt made it so that we deserve to be punished. There is no excuse. There's no way around it. There is no testimony of another person who can say, yeah, they're pretty good that is going to make it so that we are innocent. But God, but now God entered into the world through and in the person of Jesus Christ. He came down from heaven to earth. And he said, look, I know that these people deserve to be punished for eternity. But instead of that, I'm going to pay the price of their punishment. And so Jesus came to earth. He lived a sinless, perfect life. He never did all these things that Paul talked about. The power of sin never reigned over him. Unlike all of us. And at the end of that life, he willingly chose to go to a cross. And here's what we sometimes forget. As he was arrested and beaten and tortured and mocked and nailed to a cross. The most important thing about all of that was not that he was in in physical agony. But that upon him on that cross, God laid the iniquities of us all. God put the sin of all of us onto Jesus. He paid for our sin. He died on that cross. He was buried and then he rose again. And God through people like Paul said to you and me and every other person who has ever lived since then, here's the deal. You are guilty, but you can be declared innocent if you will place your faith in in Jesus and the work that he did on that cross. If you'll do that, my grace will be poured out upon you and you will be innocent in my sight despite the fact that you have done nothing to earn it. I don't know where that that idea lands today for you, but I'm gonna trust that some of you out there are not, Christians. Maybe you check the box Christian uh, when they come around and do the census every few years or whatever, but but you truly haven't placed your faith, your hope, your belief in Jesus for the forgiveness of your sins. And today as you read the gospel summarized, as you see and hear the gospel summarized, I hope that you will recognize that you are are standing before the judge and you have no excuses and your only hope is to say, Jesus, I believe that you died for my sins. I will give you my life. Please let the grace of the cross be poured out onto me so that I can be declared innocent and become the child of God who gets to look forward to heaven and who feels all of the benefits of that now, the peace, the hope, the love, the joy. Become a Christian today because there's no other hope for you. And for those of you who are Christians, I know, as I said at the beginning, that the world that we're living in is is tiring right now. There's so many things going on. and It just keeps getting stacked up. And I think we feel like we're fighting uphill battles and, and we're dealing with discouragement. And all of that sucks. But you know what doesn't suck the gospel and remembering that God loved us so much that he would pay the ransom for our sins should allow for us to have joy and hope and peace despite everything that we might face here. And I hope that you would turn your eyes upon Jesus, look full in his wonderful face and allow for the things of this world to grow strangely dim in the light of his glory and grace that was poured out for you on the cross so that you might be declared innocent let me pray that for you and let me pray for you who aren't christians that you would accept jesus as your savior god you know that it's been a really tiring time for me and for my family and Lord, sometimes it's it's easy to forget why I do what I do. And Lord, it's all because at some point in my life, you showed me my guilt. and you called me into a relationship with you by your incredible grace and through the work of Jesus on the cross. And I am so thankful for that. And I pray, God, that you would do the same thing for other people who are watching today. Lord, for those who aren't Christians, I pray that you would whisper into their ears, you are a sinner who is guilty but I have offered you salvation by my grace. And I pray, God, that they would accept that gift, that they would bow their heads before you and they would declare themselves sinners, but they would also declare their belief in you to save them from their sins and they would give their lives to you, God, today, their life to you today, God. And for my fellow Christians, God, I pray that you would remind them Remind them of how incredible your grace truly is. Lord, we can can leave our first love. We can go through the motions. We can act like Christians and live like Christians and sometimes forget how incredibly great the gospel is. But I pray that you would remind us, Lord. Remind us, God. Pray these things because of your grace. And in your name, Jesus. Amen.